Welcome to The Wall of Soundtrack, a show where we discuss the music and soundtracks behind the very best TV shows and motion pictures. In this episode, we'll be discussing the music and soundtrack behind the HBO critically acclaimed series, The Sopranos. The Sopranos is a crime drama television series that aired on HBO. The story revolves around a fictional New Jersey mafia crime boss named Tony Soprano and the life of his family and associates. The Sopranos was created by David Chase. The show ran for a total of six seasons from 1999 to 2007. The show garnered 21 Primetime Emmy Awards, five Golden Globes, and two Peabody Awards. The show was also well known for its all-star cast, including the late and beloved James Gandolfini, who played the main character, Tony Soprano. His wife, Carmela Soprano, played by Edie Falco. His daughter, Meadow Soprano, played by Jamie Lynn Sigler. His son, AJ Soprano, played by Robert Eiler. His consigliere, Silvio Dante, played by Stevie Van Zandt. His psychiatrist, Dr. Melfi, played by Lorraine Bracco. His uncle, Junior Soprano, played by Dominique Chianese. And his nephew, Christopher Moltisante, played by Michael Imperioli. The guest for this discussion is not only a good friend of mine, but he's a columnist for the entertainment commentary and review website, action Agogo. go Cy Shackleford is a huge fan of comic books, music, and all things hip-hop. He is a graduate of the University of Connecticut. You can follow his articles on actionagogo.com, and you can follow him on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Shaq underscore house 83. Here's my discussion with Cy on the music behind The Sopranos. We're live, man. How's it going? I'm going great. It's going great. I'm glad to be here for the inaugural podcast. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for doing it, man. Uh, good to have you here. So, so how did you get uh, involved with Action A Go Go? Well, I used to just post like a bunch of witticisms on my status updates on Facebook, and then once I started branching out and like writing album reviews, I guess via Facebook notes. And the guys who run Action and Gogo, Derek Scarzella and Troy Jeffrey Allen, they're friends of mine. I met them at Alliance Comics in Silver Spring many years prior. And then Troy approached me one day and he basically said, you're way too clever just to be relegated to Facebook. How about you write for us? And I asked them what they were about. They said action movies, action, live action TV, pop culture in general. And they pretty much gave me carte blanche at first to write whatever I want, however I wanted to. But I had to just kind of tone it down and just like kind of like hone my writing to, to be more to go at the targets I was going at you know gotcha so how did you like you know get so into Marvel comics like comic books I mean was that something you picked up as a kid or? yeah yeah it was something I picked up on as a kid um, remember the woman that babysat me when I was when I was in preschool and elementary school her oldest son he was a big action sci-fi fan he had a bunch of those movies taped on VHS and had a big comic book collection too and I started just picking up on that, asking questions, watching and reading the films when he wasn't around, and then doing the same thing at home. And when I was old enough, and when I was old enough to make my own money, around like after elementary school, around middle school, I think it was, that's when I spent the majority of my funds, my allowance on comic books and comic book cards, basically anything I can just get my hands on and feed myself information about this. 
I still collect comics to this day. I don't know how much my collection is worth, or I never had it appraised. I don't even know how many issues I have, but it's a lifelong passion that hasn't died out. And Marvel over DC. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. I was always, um, like when I was younger, I, I got into Ghost Rider. I don't know if you were, you were, you're into that or... The Danny Ketch Ghost Rider. Yeah. 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 That's, that was the first Ghost Rider I was introduced to when I, when I was in elementary school. I learned about the Johnny Blaze version later on, but... Danny Ketch, the Ghost Rider from the '90s, that was my intro. Awesome, man. So I was uh, I was looking at some of your articles that you wrote, and I, I really liked your Sicario Two Soldado. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, trailer analysis, and so what do you think about that movie? I do think they're going to up the ante on this movie. I mean, the first one I saw that on a whim, just because I saw Brolin's name and Benicio del Toro's name attached to it, and it's like, okay, this might be just a cool action film. And it was just more than that, though. It was like. If you've seen it, there's one scene in there where that still leaves me like <gasps> gasping, like near the end. That's how that's how effective that film was. And the cinematography was great. Yeah, the action, the acting, and the commentary they have about the American American government's involvement in the drug trade that was really good. So the second movie they say is going to make it look like like a walk in the park at Disneyland's. We'll see. We'll see. And then the trailer looks good, but it's going to be hard to top the first one. Yeah, I mean, the score, too, is just, like, incredible. I mean, when you're, uh, you know, uh, looking at that scene where they're going into Juarez and that oh, yeah. helicopter shot, I mean, it's just, like, it's eerie, man. You just feel like you don't even know. You don't know, know what monster you're going to encounter across the border, you know? Yeah, it's very tense. The, very, the score was very tense during that scene. And that scene, and they use the same score when they, when they were going through the tunnel as well. Right, right. Yeah, I, I just uh, I think it's going to be interesting because it looks like uh, Josh Brolin's character, Matt Graver, and Alejandro, which is played by Del Toro, it looks like they're actually kind of facing off based on the plot. Like they may be kind of, uh, you know, adversaries. I don't know if you if you picked up on that during the trailer. Or... I didn't pick that up during the trailer. I uh, I just assumed that they were still they were still together as government operatives sending to do government dirty work pretty much and it looks and from the way it looks in this film they're dealing with terrorists who are being smuggled in through mexican drug cartels so and and, and it looks like they gave them the freedom just to just to go at them any way they want to and usually based on what we saw in the first film that's what they that's what they do best when they have more freedom to act autonomously against their targets yeah yeah exactly um I don't know how I feel about you know the 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 last director was it De Denis De Villeneuve? Villeneuve. Yeah. I know I'm butchering his name, but uh, he was just fantastic, man. I don't know if you've seen some of his other films, but I mean, he, I don't I know. Saw, did you... I saw a most violent year. I have that on okay. Blu-ray. I saw that. That was really good. Uh, forget whatever else he might have directed. I think he did the new Blade Runner too. Did you get a chance to see that? Or yes, I did actually. You're right. He did do the next. Did do the most recent Blade Runner. I'm more partial to Ridley Scott's version, all four of Ridley Scott's versions, actually. The, the one that Villanueva did, it just... For one thing, he shouldn't do sequels more than 10 years after the original. And his version felt like it was much more... He was trying to make it more, a lot more bombastic, you know? Like, more epic than the first one was. Right. Visually, it looked good, but it was like... Uh, I, it's all right at the end. That's how I was like, it's all right, but the original was better. Yeah, I mean, you, it's it's pretty hard to top Ridley Scott. I mean, I think there's only one other director in my mind that's done that, and that's James Cameron with the the follow up to to Alien, which was Aliens. Aliens, yes. And that was just 
it's like, whoa, if you can top the first one, if you're able to top Ridley, Ridley's version with the first movie, um, I just think that that kind of speaks miles to Cameron as a director, right? And he knows. And plus, the first Alien, that was like a horror film in space. When James Cameron got his hands on being able to do the sequel, he made it more like a, a character-driven sci-fi action drama. Because you got more of, what's it called, a Ripley. You got more of her character in there. And there were things in the deleted scenes in Aliens that I think they should have kept in the movie as well, too. Like when, Rip, when Ripley wakes up and asks about her daughter and learns that she was dead, it's like they should have kept that in the original as well. That was good character development, apart from all the, uh, apart from her protecting the kid and still going at the alien, alien colonies that are on that planet. Yeah, you know, they left that out. And I think that was, an, you know, like you said, an important piece of, of the story there to cut because I think people walking into that movie for the first time, not seeing the first one, yeah, it kind of leaves them a little confused on like, okay, why is she, you know, why is she in the spaceship? Like why is she, uh, you know, and suspended animation floating around in space like right. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, that's, that's an incredible film and definitely one of my favorites, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of develop that franchise because it's kind of, I think it's taken a, a steer for the worst, unfortunately. Well, with Prometheus with, and... With Prometheus and Covenant, and it's just, you know, where where do they go next? I know um, Neil Blancamp was uh, the guy who directed, um, what's it, District 9. Mm -hmm. He was planning on actually doing a fifth movie, which would have been, I guess, a different plot where uh, Sigourney Weaver and Hicks and Newt actually survived. And then uh, that was going to be the plot, but I guess now it's like, who knows what's going to happen, right? Yeah, it's it's just like it's just like the Terminator franchise. It's like they've done like five films already in a TV series, and anything after the second film I've come to regard as just standalone what if stories. Because when I saw Terminator Three, I was thinking, what can they do after Cyberdyne was destroyed in the second one, and they basically prevented the Terminator future from happening. And they gave like a version of like, oh, this is what happens when Cyberdyne's building wasn't destroyed and the government got control over their properties and they decided to create Skynet and the Terminators. That's what happened in this timeline. I'm like, okay, a what if version. That's why I tell people whenever they ask me if I've seen a Terminator film, it's like the first two, that's all you need to see. Yeah, yeah, If, yeah. if, if you don't want to get too confused by the plot and whatnot, just see the first two. Everything else is just what if stories. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think they kind of really tried to milk the franchise but and plus james cameron he endorsed the fifth one terminator genesis that's the only reason i went to go see it right and after that i was like slapping my head having arguments on facebook with other other fans of the films trying to explain to them how this film is not in continuity with the first two and how the special effects under cameron they were way better than anything that's come after t2 right right i definitely definitely in agreement with you there but um so uh, let's jump into The Sopranos, man. Like, uh, this is one of my favorite TV series. I think it has some of the best music uh, in a TV show, period. I mean, just uh, the choice of, of music, Chase and, and, him, and his producer, Martin, Martin Brussel, really uh, took a lot of time to pick the music. And I think it matches very well with the uh, scenes. And some of them sound like offbeat choices at first. I mean, like like one of the strip club scenes that we're gonna analyze later on, they had a Linkin Park song in there, and I was like, 
how I can see this playing in a strip club, but how does this correlate to what the dialogue of the characters is talking about? Right. But they, but they, but it does. On second viewing, you get to see the context of the scene as it pertains to the music. Right, and I think it, the the genres kind of span the gamut, right? I mean, you have everything from hip hop to classic, classic rock, rock yeah. to you know metal, like Linkin Park. Mm-hmm. You know, I know that's a DJ track, but still i mean i think it's just such a variety and i think it adds so much i can't think of any other shows um you know miami vice may be one of them that they, had just incredible music as well yeah but. They, they were the first to actually incorporate like music into their because they had a real like cinematic waves telling their story as well it's probably one of the first of their kinds and incorporating music in there it gave it a style that everybody else was influenced by eventually and even, i th- yeah even the sopranos like 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 you just said um Chase, David Chase knew what he wanted to do with the music, just like Doug Ellen, like he what he wanted to do with Entourage. Exactly, because they had good choices of music in there too. Yeah, I think the music was was really great in Entourage as well. I think, like you said, they were they were living up to what was uh, Miami Vice, the music in Miami Vice. Oh yeah, but um, so let's talk about that first the the title sequence there uh, for the Sopranos. You know that again, I will say I think is one of the best. To, uh, show opening title sequences. Uh, you have the song there. It's that is. It's composed by Alabama Three, and um, they're actually a British band. But I think that song is just uh, incredible because it captures. I feel like a lot of themes of the show, and you know, it's a, it's a mafia show. But I think it it covers the uh, those themes like you know patriarchy of the uh, you know italian uh, mafia family and then it also i think captures tony's personality you know he's kind of a sociopath sociopath he's paranoid too yeah yeah and the whole woke up this morning got yourself a gun he means you right. always got to be on always got to be on guard yeah and i think it, it's also the violence factor too right i mean that this is a mafia show yeah, and these that guys comes are criminals territory yeah exactly exactly and the visuals the visual of him being on the the new york side of the holland tunnel and driving back home to new jersey and seeing all those areas in that area in that part of new jersey until he gets back to his nice posh suburban house right so it's like the 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 intro kind of takes you uh, in his world you know into his world like he's coming from the the new york side right and mm-hmm. i think it's the lincoln tunnel but that's okay i get i get him confused all the time too but um you looks like he's coming out of that you see him coming out of the lincoln tunnel and then he's coming from his like new york crime kind of life and then he's going over to jersey you know taking the the jersey turnpike and kind of going back to suburbia like you said and i think that's what makes the intro so awesome because you're, you know, Chase is taking you into his, into his life, you know? Yeah, yeah, and that's how he, he was born in New York and he was raised in Jersey. And that's, that's another thing we're going to discuss as well, too, like the whole, the whole divide between those two states and how they're neighboring and how it, how it filters over to their residents as well, too. And, yeah. and within the context of the show, the mafia that's in New York and Tony Soprano's mafia in Jersey, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they... On a side note, HBO, they had like a brief special for that when the show was still airing, like highlighting, saying, who's tougher, New York or New Jersey? And of course, a lot of the actors in there, Gandolfini and, uh, what was his name, Joe Pantoliano. <laughs> Joe yeah. Pantoliano's like, well, I'm from Jersey, so I got to say Jersey. Like, he was saying that <laughs> reluctantly. Right. Like, and, and, and Gandolfini's from Jersey, too. Yeah, Park Ridge. So, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I think it's always interesting. I mean, they really, when they were casting, got just... I mean, those actors looked and played the part perfectly. I mean, they look like real... Everybody looked like real believable people in that yeah. show. 
and they wanted and to add authenticity to it, they added they use actors that were mostly actors that were from New York City or somewhere from the neighboring tri-states, like yeah. New York or Connecticut. I mean, New Jersey or Connecticut. Right, right, right. I think what's really cool about that song, uh, Woke Up This Morning, is like the lyrics and how they kind of match up. Um, how they kind of match up with with the show, you know, woke up this morning, got you, like you said, got yourself a gun. But uh, the, another line I really like from the lyrics of that song is, uh, your mama always said you'd be the chosen one, going back to that whole patriarchy, you know, Tony being uh, the one who's going to lead the family. And I think if you go back to season six, where uh, AJ is kind of suffering from depression and, he doesn't know what to do with his life. Uh, he's speaking with uh, Meadow, and Meadow says, uh, "You know, AJ, you're you're the you're the male. You're always going to be the more important one." And I think <laughs> that's kind of cool how kind of ties back to that theme, right? Yeah, like, it does actually. It does actually the theme of patriarchy in the family. Like, so you got a you got a son and a daughter. The son, even if he's younger, will still always be looked upon as the more important one, I guess. Yeah, the chosen one. The chosen one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. So yeah, awesome song. I think it's definitely one of the best, one of the best uh, openers out there. But so if we go into season one, the uh, I think it's uh, it's actually season one, episode one. Yeah, the there's title a, episode. Yeah, <laughs> the uh, the um, there there's a scene where Tony and uh, Polly and I believe it's um, Christopher are talking. Yeah, yeah, his nephew. They're talking about. Uh, how they're going to handle a garbage issue. I think there's another competitor. Barone and Cola. Barone and Cola, yeah. And there's that song playing in the background. It's by uh, Link Ray called Rumble. Yes. I had never heard... I was always wondering for the longest time who who did that song because I'd heard it in other other films. I think Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction was another Independence one. Independence Day, they, they used it there too. Right. And I, when, as I was watching this scene in The Sopranos when they were discussing what to do about the issue, the garbage issue... And the song playing in the background, it's like, it's in a pork store. Yeah. And I kind of hark back to, because this, this was what, 1999, 1997, I think it was? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it was 99. Okay, 99 then, okay. 99, yeah, it ran from 99 to 2007. Because what's it called? When they use it in they use it in a similar scene where Randy Quaid's character is drinking at a bar. Right. And then the tension starts building up until we see the spaceship come out. Yeah. Right. In this scene right here, we know that what they're about to do, the solution that Christopher and, and Tony, they're trying to come up with, is not a legal one, which kind of harks back to the song itself. The song was actually banned from the radio. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I did not know that. That's, that's, and I know it's influenced uh, a, lot of, a lot of bands and, and uh, guitarists. Yeah. I think it influenced Jimmy Page. He said that that was like the first Like down-tuned guitar. I right. Guess. Right. So, uh I'm glad I finally found out. I mean, it's all this time, but it's, I think it's perfect though. It just works perfectly with that scene because you know, something's going down and you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's not, not, yeah, it's not good. It's not, and plus it's pretty, it's pretty versatile song to use in any, in any genre of film too. Right. It's like it, because it's just an instrumental that gives it this versatility right there. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, like you said, I don't even think you need to put lyrics over mm. it because the tone, the tone, yeah the, yeah. the sound actually just sets the tone for it. Yeah, and it's rumble. It's like you know something's something's going down. Mm -hmm. You know, Chris and Chris is uh, he's he's got an idea, but it's probably not a good one, right? And no, it may get no. him in trouble. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I love that song. And um, there's another one too. It was in episode eleven. 
uh, was yeah. it Nobody Knows Anything. That one. That one's actually I Dream of Genie, episode 13. That's where that, okay. that's where that song was used. Okay. Um, the Murder of Chucky Signore. Signore, yeah. Uh, by R.L. Burnside. He's a blues rock artist, but does some really, uh, really cool music. I mean, and this one kind of has a, a beat to it. I, I don't want to say it's electronic, but it just sounds like different, you know? Yeah, it does. Almost industrial. Yeah, almost industrial, but it works, again, perfectly. That's where Chase comes in and... And, and just makes it work perfectly. And you see him, uh, what's it, uh, Tony, he walks down to the, uh, the dock with yeah, that fish. big fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, he uh, pulls, pulls out, out the, the gun. gun and just shoots him right in the back. Yeah, I mean, it's like in broad daylight to you. are like, how did, how did no one hear that, right? And plus the fact they use that song to like overlap with the scene itself is like there's a, there's a black humor to it that Chase has, clearly. Yeah, yeah. And then, then when Tony gets down, Tony and Silvio, who's played by... Um, uh, Stevie Van Zant, and uh, he was actually the um, guitar player for Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Band. Yeah, he which was I think, actually. Yeah, yeah, he was, which I think that's Jersey connection thing. right there. Another Jersey connection, and uh, that's just cool. I mean, you have like a, a rock star in your show. I mean, that's just different. You know, you didn't. I haven't seen a lot of shows that have that. You know, The Wire had it. They had like a few musicians in the show that had regular, regular casting parts in there. Like Steve Earle, he played Waylon Method Man. Oh, yeah, I forgot about Method Man. And Fredro Starr from season one and two, and he played Bird, one of Avon shooters. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, just it's funny, too, because Tony walks down to the the boat, and then he puts on the captain hat, and then they drive (laughs) off. And it's just like, you know, I mean, the title of the song, it's bad, you know, you know, something happened that was not good, a crime. Yeah, so... Uh, that's I, and it just works perfectly again. And Junior, that's his uh, that's his uncle, right? Yeah, Junior, played by Dominique uh, Chianese. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names, but um, yeah, that was that was a great that was a great uh, song and a great scene uh, great scene to use it in. And then uh, so I guess we'll jump over to season two now. Let's do that. And um, so the season two is interesting because you know uh, Junior's kind of. Not completely out of the picture, but you know he's been uh, he's been arrested, so he you know he's awaiting trial. And Tony's kind of you see him kind of slowly cementing his position as the the head capo and, and head of the the uh, DeMeo crime family. Yeah, with his uncle out of the way, that's less competition, even if it is just for a short time. Right, because his uncle was always jealous that Tony and his father they were always they moved ahead in the organization ahead of him. Right. Right, so um, so season two, you have the, the opener, episode one. It was uh, it was called "Guy Walks into Psych- Psych- uh, Psychiatrist Office." Um, it's a Frank Sinatra song called uh, "It's." It was a very good, good year. year, and I think it, it just it just works well. One because it's a nice kind of synopsis of or uh, what happened of, the previous season. What happened the previous season, and 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 what's happening now and what's going on now and and uh, using Frank Sinatra Sinatra being an Italian from Jersey himself right yeah that's right. also that was also deliberate on Chase's part had to be yeah yeah and i think um he also i think was rumored to have mafia t- ties right oh like, yeah he was yeah i mean the rat pack him Sammy Davis Jr they were all connected with the mafia in some sense yeah yeah so i i, I mean another great choice for 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 music there um, and, but considering everything that happened in season one, I mean, what's it called? That's, it's a fitting and ironic choice. The yeah. use, what's it called? It was a very good year. Yeah. 
and then uh, I think one of the funnier one of the funnier moments here is the next uh, next episode. I'm going to talk about <laughs> yeah house arrest. Yeah. Um, so Chase uh, uses the uh, the band the Pretenders yeah with a song called Space Invaders, which is just an instrumental. There are no lyrics over it or no singing, but it just it's kind of like uh, it, there's some comedy in it because one. Uh, the scene is a garbage truck uh, pulling into a deli shop, essentially, and the garbage truck just, is just dumps the entire uh, load of garbage on the parking lot. Yeah, what's it called? The gar- the deli owner he was complaining about having to pay double because he missed his payments. So what's it called? They just gave him double his garbage right back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and he acted like he couldn't speak no English before, but when he saw that, he started. He, I'm like, you know how to curse at them, don't you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> That's what made him funny too. I think he dropped the f bomb like like it had to be ten to fifteen, 20, 15 times, twenty times maybe. <laughs> yeah, but the title "Space Invader," you know, like the garbage truck coming in and kind of you invading know, for lack space. of space, yeah, invading your space. It just it worked perfectly, but there's a bit of comedy there too, right? And, and the comedy, and also the other comedy of it is don't piss off no garbage collectors, especially if they're connected with the mafia. Right, right. <laughs> and that was when uh, I think Richie Apria he had um, he had sent the garbage truck over, and he <laughs> was. They were sitting on the, the other end of the phone line listening to this this, this deli owner complain and, and laughing about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, it was uh, funny. Yeah, it was. It was really funny. It was really funny. One of the many uh, comedic moments in the show. So. Oh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so then, you know, we'll jump into season three. And I guess uh, I'll, give, I'll give the listeners a little bit of context about what happens in season three. So... Uh, you know, I'll try not to spoil the show, but... If you uh, haven't seen it yet. Yeah, Richie... Uh, so, essentially, in season two, Tony clashes with Richie, with Richie Apria. Um, Tony finds out that he's going to be a problem, and uh, he finds out that Richie is conspiring with his uncle, Junior, to, to have him clipped. Junior tells Tony, you know, informs him of this, and then... Uh, Tony was moving to to take out Richie, but it looks like his his great sister t- Janice took care took care of it for him. Yeah, she did. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, so Richie gets essentially murdered by Janice. Uh, they have a fight, and then Janice shoots him. Uh, and then, uh, you know, of course, she calls Tony to take care of it. Right. Right. So. Uh, so so uh he's out of the picture season three uh the the um what was it episode one where they again play alabama three tony's walking down to pick up his newspaper and you hear this song and man this is a this is a tough song title to 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 enunciate here the sad eyed lady of the low life it's by, a li- yeah it's alliterative yeah yeah all I mean, the l's that are in there yeah but uh, again, works perfectly. He uses Alabama three again, which I think Chase said that he heard on K Rock because he was a, uh, I think K Rock's what a, a California radio station okay. or LA. Yeah, I have either California or somewhere like Georgia or somewhere. One of them, I think. Okay. I know they have like a radio station similar to a radio festival similar to what we used to have with HF Festival. Right, right. Because yeah. I remember USA, the network, they used to. They used to connect the WWF wrestling wrestling organization with K Rock on one of their uh, Raw episodes at one point, and had them posing with a bunch of bands that were at the K Rock festival, like Seven Dust, Stain, Kitty. This is back in '99, though. Right, right. Well, man, wasn't music good back 
good back then, right? I mean, it still is if you know where to look. Yeah, yeah, you got to look at the right place, mm-hmm. and you know, especially with rock and and hip hop now, it's I feel like it's it's all kind of changed. But yeah, the bars drop so low that you can limbo through it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're definitely right about that. But back to back to the song here. I, again, it just it fits perfectly. It's, the lyrics are talking about. Uh, a uh, you know it's not not a man but it's a woman it's walking a, down you know picks the life of a crime boss though it's like right. Tony he doesn't get up until the sun goes down doesn't come down until the sun comes up right so you see you know and you see that throughout the show Tony does he's got this kind of wild lifestyle he stays out late you know he's not faithful to his wife hell no no he isn't yeah so uh, but another great pick and. Um, I guess that we can jump into the to the next song in season three, which is the police, and I think that's actually still in the first episode. It is in the first episode. Yeah, this is all within the first episode still. Yeah, and I like how I forget the song they were using right before it transitions into the police is every breath you take. It had a very smooth transition, by the way, too. It was yeah, like, it worked. Like like the music editor did a great job of that of of orchestrating that transition. It worked perfectly, and I haven't really seen any other show do that. I mean. No, not me neither. Not not that smoothly. Yeah. That that song they used before, I remember seeing it in Sin City in the opening credits to the 2005 film Sin City. Yeah. And I was looking for it. I couldn't find it on the internet. Like there's a there's a show, and I'm gonna give a little plug to a website that tracks this. It's called Tune Find, and um, I know that one. They tracked all of the uh, or most of them, most of the songs that were in the uh, Soprano soundtrack, but. Uh, yeah, that that um, they did a great job with with that transition, yes. and um, I mean the police too. That's like the go-to song for like stalking or surveillance. Yeah, and it works perfectly in that scene because the FBI is they're trying to get into Tony's house yeah. to bug the house, and they're having all these problems with <laughs> you know having to worry about the maid, about you know certain people coming in, yeah, do without the being house. seen. Yeah, and they. I still don't know how legally they did that. If it was like a, if they have to have a specific type of warrant, a warrant to to place a wire in a house, because I feel like it would there'd be some sort of invasion of privacy going on there or, or issue there. But the, the, I would you would think so, yeah. But the, the law enforcement they find ways to get around that all the time. Right, right. Like in that movie Traffic, like at the end where Don Cheadle he goes back into what's his face Stephen Bauer's home under the pretense of starting a fight, but he's really there to put a bug under his desk. Right, right. Right. Yeah. They don't show what happens in the movie after that happens, but in the script they just show Don Cheadle monitoring the drug the drug dealer, and it's like, okay, we can get him now. He thinks he's untouchable now. We can stop him. Yeah. I'm like, okay, but how legal is this though? That's the real question. Right. Right. And uh, you know, it's interesting because like going back to Del Toro again in Traffic, mm-hmm. Sicario coming back. I think it, it's great to see. It's great to see Del Toro kind of come back into uh, the limelight, you know, because he was he. Did, I mean, I think he won an Academy Award for Traffic, right? He, he won Best Supporting Actor, yeah. Okay. And long before that, I remember him being a Bond villain from License to Kill. Yeah, I remember like, that. That's the first place I saw him in, and then seeing him after that, it's like I know that guy. Yeah. I know he was going to be as big as he turned out to be, though. I'm glad he is. Yeah, yeah, he's a great actor. He's got kind of that. Um, like when I think of like the way his like way his face looks, he's got like a real gritty look to him, like Daniel Craig. Like a tired look almost. Yeah, yeah. I think he would be a cool Bond. I mean, I know that they're kind of throwing that around a little bit. He with... could pull it off. He could pull it off. A lot of people, a lot of people think he's just a, he's just a basic 
basic Hispanic actor, pretty much, and relegated to those roles, but not. If you see him in a conversation, he has, like, an American accent, way yeah. back, everything. I think he's, Puerto, he's from Puerto Rico. Yeah, he's born in Puerto Rico, but he was actually raised here in small town Pennsylvania. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, yeah, the... Uh, so so that song was great, and then we go into uh, what was it? Um, I believe it was the um, the Kinks, thin, right? Living on a thin line by the yeah, Kinks. Yeah, living on a thin line. That that man. That that's got to be one of the top songs. Uh, it almost sounds like a Pink Floyd song. You know, it, it's got a very trippy sound to it. It does, and the lyrics and the, and the way things, if you know the context of the scene, really, in relation to the lyrics, it's like the message I got from it, the past is prologue. Yeah, yeah, and, it, and I think the lyrics, when you, when you listen to them, like living on a thin line, uh, you know, living this way, each, each day is a dream, what am I supposed to do? And you hear that again in the chorus, what am I supposed to do? Um, it really highlights the themes behind that episode tony is struggling to get along with ralphie and is having a lot of problems with the ralphie ends up dating this stripper yeah. and uh ends but up getting stripper, her but the stripper ends up liking tony a little bit more like she like ralphie he gets a pop tart and a soda tony gets some homemade bread so it's like no wonder ralphie ends up killing her eventually yeah and it's just it's just screwed up i mean i remember seeing that episode for the first time and walking away and being like, holy shit. Yeah. Like this. When he, yeah. When he did that, I was like, okay, Tony is going to fuck you up. Yeah. And he did. He punched a made guy and it got, it got him, you know, it started this whole feud in season three. Um, and you hear the song played, I believe it's in the beginning of the episode where the uh, scene opens up where they're in the strip club yeah. and Tracy is I think I, I think she that's where she gives him the the bread the bread yeah and he was basically trying to he's being very paternalistic with her yeah trying to like not not be too inviting to her like don't not giving her the wrong idea be professional I guess yeah yeah and um, it's again I remember walking away from that episode after I saw it and I was like man I feel dirty like this is like <laughs> I mean because he essentially kills uh, like a twenty four year old right or a twenty she's um, in her twenties she's in her twenties. And um, she's pregnant, too. So, I mean... That made it even worse. Yeah, it made it even worse. And I think that's why Tony ends up punching uh, Ralphie, who's a made guy. So, it kind of spurs up this whole big beef between those two, which, you know, uh, trickles into season four. But, um, yeah, I remember the episode opens up, and I think it closes with that song. It does, yes. But... um, yeah, that one, that one I remember kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. I remember after watching that. Like, I was like, what is going to happen next? It's like, okay, I, I, I didn't know what to think when I first saw it the first time. It's like, I need a minute. Yeah, and I think that what Tony realizes is that that uh, Tracy reminds him of his daughter. Meadow, yeah. Meadow, yeah, because I think they were around the same age. Or I think Meadow may have been a little bit younger, but still, I mean. How Meadow could have turned out. Yeah, yeah, you know, if, if, if she took the wrong path, so. Yep, um, and then I'm trying to think the other the other song. Oh, uh, the f- uh, season four finale. I think it's season four finale. Whitecaps episode yeah. thirteen. They use Layla. Uh, you, you wrote that it's a, it's an ode to Goodfellas, kind of. Yeah, but I remember in Goodfellas they just use like the piano coda for Layla. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Because I. Uh, oh right, that's the uh, the that is the montage where they find all of the all them all the, the dead bodies right uh-huh. right exactly yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. He didn't, he didn't actually use the track. He just used the piano. Yeah, just used the piano coda. No one no one ever thought to use that before before Marty Scorsese did. Everybody just saw Layla and just like heard Clapton's guitar portion and whatnot. Right. And I like how Chase rolled with it here because that that part actually has the lyrics, and it highlights uh, Tony's fracturing relationship with Carmela. Yeah, and the funny thing is he drives up, and he's playing it in his... <laughs> and his, all his stuff is being thrown out of, out of his house, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's, he drives up, and he's in that Suburban, and I swear, it looks like a soccer mom kind of car. <laughs> yes. You know, he's like, he's like driving up in it, and I remember reading some of the YouTube comments when I was like looking at it, and people were like, why doesn't he get a better car? And, I get, and he ends up getting a better car, he, he ends up getting the Escalade. Yeah, you know? he does. But he ends up driving up the driveway, <laughs> and then he runs over the golf clubs, and he's <laughs> Like, and he's like, "What the hell?" Like, you know, and uh, he's got that song playing in the in the suburban, and it was so perfect. I think because I mean, when you look at the lyrics, "Got me on my knees, Layla," and he wasn't expecting that at all when he got home. Yeah, I mean, and and I, you know, I have to tip my hat off to to Edie Falco and and Gandolfini there. I think it was some of the best acting that I saw uh, in that entire series. I mean, that scene where they're fighting. And, uh, you know, Carmela had heard the, or, or had um, taken the phone call from his Russian, Gumar. Oh, yeah. And, uh, like how you use Gumar for mistress. <laughs> yeah, Gumar. Yeah. And, uh, and that really upset her. But I, I was some of the best acting I've seen uh, by two leads, you know, in the show. And plus, when they get a good director behind it, too, that helps. I think, what's his face? Tim Van Patten? Tim, Tim Van Patten. I yeah, think he's, he's really good. And he's done, I think, some episodes of uh, Boardwalk Liar. Empire. He did To the Lost, the, se the season two finale for Boardwalk Empire that really made them hit big. To the Lost, he okay. did that episode. Uh, the Wire, Black Mirror. He's, okay. He's real good. He kind of just like float. Does he just do TV or is he, has he done any films? He's a, he does TV episodes. Yeah, I've never seen him do anything in film apart from the what he used to he used to be an actor himself right yeah so he and i remember him when he was a younger man he used to do bit parts in small movies and whatnot before he transitioned to directing where he really shined i think van patten was may have, may have acted in a uh sopranos episode or something or he or, probably did do a hitchcockian appearance yeah 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 but um yeah he's great i mean he's he's he does a lot of good stuff and i and, and it's, you know i watch the behind the scenes stuff for for movies and and shows and uh, the actors always speak very highly of Tim Van Patten. Yeah, for good reason. He's a real, he knows how to tell a story. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, season four, you know, finale there with White Caps. That that I I'll just touch a little bit more on that episode. Uh, there is a scene where Tony, I guess Tony's trying to buy a vacation home for uh, the family. Yeah. And he ends up uh, backing out of that because of of of. Carmela finding out about his, uh, his affairs. His affairs, yeah. Right. So they end up, he ends up backing out of the real estate uh, deal for that for the vacation house, and he ends up putting the boat, the boat, <laughs> uh, he ends up pulling a boat right up to the owner's uh, house and playing music to kind of wear them down and piss them Troll off. Troll them, yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, Tony was the uh, pioneer of trolling, right? Yeah, before we even called it trolling. Exactly. Just annoy somebody enough, and they'll they'll back out of the real estate deal, right? Mm-hmm. It's <laughs> a lesson learned from the Sopranos, right there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so then uh, we go over to season five, and uh, did you now? Did you watch? Uh, have you watched the Sopranos recently, or like again? Not recently. What's it called? I did watch the whole episodes in which these these music 
these, the, yeah, where the music. Which scenes that we're discussing right now, I watched the full episodes in which they're taking place recently, but other than that, I haven't seen the full series since, what's it called, since since it ended, really. Right, which was back in 2007. Or 2007, right? Yeah, yeah excuse me. Um, that uh, that was a big day in the office that day, because they had so many Soprano fans. Yeah. It was just like how the when The Wire ended, too, everybody was talking about it. It's like, oh, this is going to be an event. It's like a pay-per-view event, almost. Yeah, exactly. I think... You know, that last episode of the season finale of season six. Uh, it's still I'm talked sh- about. It's, it's still talked about. Yeah. Yeah. And Chase, he's not, he's not really, he's not one to really give any concrete answers. Like, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. But um, season five, I guess we, we go over to that. And uh, I guess a little bit of context for the listeners. Um, you know, there are some ex-cons that are related to, are part of, uh, excuse me, the DeMeo and Lubertazzi crime family, I believe. Phil Leotardo gets out of prison. Yeah, Frank and Vincent, yeah. Frank, the, the, the late Frank Vincent. Uh, now go rest. home and get your fucking shine box. Right. <laughs> it's like I'm reading all the YouTube comments for like, like the scenes that here that you know he's in, and and everyone's just like hey, always she, does the shine box. Thing. Yeah, that, that's like that's like what he's most known for. It's like okay, he's most known for getting his ass beat by Joe Pesci and Raging Bull and Goodfellas. But y'all forget he got Pesci back in Casino. Oh yeah, and uh, for his. Um, well, I think it's kind of irony, right, with the the the, the Goodfellas character that he plays called Billy Bats. Yeah. And then he kills Pesci. With Bats. <laughs> with yeah. the Bats. Yeah. He can hold it three at a time and just beat him with it. You yeah. see? Watch! Yeah, yeah. It's it's For anyone who hasn't seen that ending scene, it's quite disturbing. Yeah. Um, it's quite violent. And uh, I believe it was based off of a mafia killing that actually happened. Scorsese like that. based that. Yeah. Where two brothers were beaten, beaten to a pulp in a cornfield and buried in that same cornfield right. while they were still breathing. Yeah, it was just, oh my gosh. You know, you see that and you're like, uh, yeah. This is disturbing, but at the same time, there is a certain humor about it. Yeah, yeah. There's there's then, a kind of a dark humor to it. Yeah. But I think, it, you know, when I see that, it's like, yeah, don't get involved with organized crime. It's kind of like that scene's a lesson, right? Like, yeah, it's a lesson, yeah. Yeah. So, um, or don't piss off the bosses. Really, it's like as Pesci was doing a lot of shit in that film, where they were like, because you hear De Niro's voice, and he's like, "The bosses had enough of Nikki. They had had enough. How right. much more were they gonna take?" Yeah, I loved. I loved how Scorsese did that too, where you hear the monologue for, uh, or um, the voiceover of De Niro, and then the voiceover Pesci when they when they're talking about a scene and kind of giving you context. Uh huh. And then. Pe- he like Pesci, his his monologue's like going on in his head as as the scene is. And happening. then he gets hit. He's like, they don't ah! give a ah! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought that was that was that was awesome. It's just great directing. But oh, yeah. um, yeah, season five, a lot of the ex cons are coming out of jail, uh, and specifically in Tony's case, uh, Tony Blundetto, who is played by um, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi, he's coming out of jail, so Tony has to kind of get him acclimated, wants to try to pull him back into the crime life, but then Blunde- uh, Blundetto kind of wants to... That's, just cu- keep... that's his cousin, though, isn't it? Yeah, it's his cousin. He kind of wants to stay straight and go, go yeah. a that legitimate route. That doesn't last long, though. No, it doesn't. It and he, doesn't. his actions end up starting a war between New York and New Jersey. Right, yeah. So uh, he ends up, I believe, killing uh, Billy Leotardo... In revenge for the, um, what was it, the the murder of Angelo, right? Yes. Angelo in the in the fifth season, who I guess he shared a, he shared a uh, jail cell with, but had had said 
in 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 the show that he was kind of like an like an uncle to him. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I guess that's a little bit of context for. Um, One second. Hold up. He. Uh, yeah. That, a little bit of context there for listeners uh, moving into season five. Right. Sorry, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a sip of beer here. No doubt. You gotta catch up with me. I already finished mine. <laughs> and um, so yeah, that brings us to season five, where we where uh, um, shoot, um, and Camelot, I, Camelot, Camelot right? Okay, yeah. so that is um, what episode is that? Eleven, number seven, seven. Excuse me, seven. So that episode, uh, it's called Camelot. I think they they name it Chase names it Camelot because. In the episode, Tony finds a old, or kind of reconnects with an old Gumar of his father's father, Johnny. Yeah, uh, Soprano, and she, I guess she always keeps talk, or she keeps talking or mentioning to Tony that she had an affair with JFK, John F. Kennedy. Um, so I think he named it Camelot because that was Camelot was was essentially like the first 100 days of the Kennedy administration were called Camelot. So they were called, yeah. Yeah. So that's just kind of a reference to that. But I think Tony found out a lot about his, his father. He found out that, uh, that his dad actually gave the dog away. Remember? Yeah, like, his dad, his dad was actually pretty terrible. And Tony created this narrative and it's every idolize him. Yeah. I think in this episode, in this scene right here in the strip club, all them around there, all those guys around there talking, and all those strippers around. Right. I think Tony, he was lying to cover his real feelings up until that point. Yeah, I I, I think you're right. I but but in many ways, he turned out to be just like his father too, or having his own Gumars as well. Yeah. And all them all them dudes around there in the strip club, they're basically they're like, fuck our wives, they ruin us. We're better off these strippers. Yeah, it's a, it's and and it seems like the wives kind of know about it but they don't openly acknowledge it or yeah, like they, they'd be angry about it at first like Carmela, like how she was angry when the stripper called their home i guess that's why she was really angry it's like you basically you call my home you don't do that you don't violate the man the man you're fucking you don't violate his home you don't contact him there yeah yeah it's like it's bad enough you're doing that but if you are i don't want to know it's it was very kind of uh underhanded and vindictive by that that uh his gumar kind of and kind of blew up his life, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, so... Kind of reminds me of True Detective Season 1 where... Uh, yeah, Woody Marty. Ha- Woody Harrelson's character, yeah, his life is blown up by that one paralegal he was smashing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, that, I mean, another great show that, that we'll have to talk about, but... Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they place a, a track off of Linkin Parks in that scene. They play a, a track off of uh, the Meteora album called Session. It's a It's a... DJ, it's an instrumental DJ track by um, DJ Han. DJ Mr. Han, yeah, Mr. Han, and uh, I think again works perfectly. It's you're kind of um, it fits very well with the scene because uh, and and I feel like the the episode title to Camelot. It was kind of like this uh, great time, you know, fantastic, uh, you know, almost surreal time of the Kennedy administration. It was the best of the times. The best of the times. And uh, you kind of get that feeling when you listen to the song. It's like uh, the ambiance, and uh, you just feel like you're kind of like in a nirvana, you know? It sounds like a shift for me, really. It's yeah. like the way the, the way the beat takes that so many twists and turns, and like the, the, the drum programming is like on steroids and whatnot. Yeah. Hyperactive. Yeah. It just kind of like uh, it mirrors the racing thoughts that Tony has in his own head. 
Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was just like, it was such a cool choice because, I mean, I, I, I was a huge Linkin Park fan. I loved their first two, two records. Um, and I just thought it was like, it kind of was a surprise. I wasn't expecting that Chase would use Linkin Park because they were such a new band at the time. I mean... Yeah, they were. You know... I mean, they they had won Grammys and they had won their first album, Hybrid Theory. That was like the best selling album of two thousand one, even though it was released in late two thousand. Right, I think it went like triple platinum, right? More than that, more than that, sold five million. Oh, geez. by the end of two thousand one, yeah. sold five million. That's incredible. Yeah, that's, that album was big. And and to top that off, like you do that album, you release Hybrid Theory, and then the next record, it's like, you know, just as good, if not better, every song is good on that album yeah they, they stepped it up a little bit i mean the, thematically it was like they're still within the, within the whole post-grunge kind of lyrics the angst angst written lyrics but bennington's voice it got better he was doing more with it and mike shinoda he was rapping more and that's what that and his appearance on the executioner's song two years prior it's was going called. down yeah that's what convinced me this guy can spit i don't care what people can say and he can play like piano he it's can play guitar yeah i mean you know I think the thing I always loved about Mike Shinoda um, was that, like, you would see him live, and he would be, you know, emceeing and rapping, and then he'd just like, you know, he'd have his guitar behind his back, you know. Yeah. And he would just like go up, you know. They play faint, or, you know, he raps in that song, and he would just go up, and like, you know, pull a guitar and then just keep playing and performing. It was just like crazy. It's like how many. How many instruments can this guy play? He did that on the song Kenji that was part of the, his Fort Minor group. Yeah, the Rising Tide, right? Yeah, the record. Record 05, yeah. He did the same thing when he performed Kenji live, had the guitar on his back, because that part had a really killer guitar riff that was really building up to the end of the song. It was like, okay, this, this guy's legit. Yeah, 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 he is. And, uh, but yeah, another cool addition by Chase into that, into that, uh, that scene with Session. And then, and then we have... Yeah, another song which I think it was was a clever um, insertion was Van Morrison's "Glad Tidings," and that's uh, the episode. I believe it's the last ep- last episode oh, of season five. Season five, yeah, where Tony ends up having to to make a compromise. You know, he's it's a real shit show for a lack of a better word. I mean, he, he he's got a big problem on his hands. His oh, yeah. cousin uh, Tony Blundetto, played by Steve Buscemi, takes out. The brother of uh, Phil Leotardo, yeah, uh, who's played by Frank Vincent. Um, so he he kills him in revenge for Angela Lupertazzi getting getting murdered, and uh, it's just it's a nightmare. And it's like Tony has to, and and, and in in that in that episode, I believe maybe it was the the one before that, he kind of has a nightmare about it. I don't remember that. Where um, what's her name? Um, Annette Benning. She's in that. <laughs> yeah. Annette Benning is in now. the in the episode, now. yeah, and uh, <laughs> I was like, "Is that Annette Benning?" And I think in the episode, uh, Tony Soprano is like, he he's having a dream, and he goes, "Are you Annette Benning?" <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty surreal that they would do it like that. Yeah, yeah. I guess she was a big fan of the show, though. Or so I it's mean, like, it's like how they did like ten years later on the on the other HBO show, The Leftovers. How they had a Marklin Baker from Perfect Strangers. Yeah, when they had him play himself as like one of the. People who didn't depart during the um, the rapture—that was the theme of the show. It's like, yeah, it's almost—it's surreal and self-referential to have these people in here playing themselves in some way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's a great actress, but man, and, and American Beauty, she was like, but she looked her best in the great outdoors. I liked her better as a brunette. <laughs> yeah, so she um, 
yeah, you see her in that episode. But back to I guess the 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 last episode. It's a it's a song called "Glad Tidings" by Van Van Morrison, and uh, you know it, it's a song that's um, like the juxtaposition I think of that song, right? Because it's like you you hear it and you feel like it's a happy like you know yeah song, but it's not. It's it's it it's like Tony has to make a really difficult uh, tough, choice you know decision there he killed I mean, his cousin because with that mercy kill it's like better you get killed by me than to kill by the, the, the lupertazzi crime family yeah do much brutal yeah and i and again the lyrics i think match up perfectly with the theme of the theme of that scene you know we'll send you glad, glad tidings from, from new, new york. york and i think chase is using that there and i think he's referring to the lupertazzi family you know yeah. johnny johnny sacrimony and by extension, New York, New York City as a whole. Like we said before, earlier in the podcast, there's like, there's a divide between New York and New Jersey. I mean, New Jersey, specifically the northern part, a lot of them have like something of an inferiority complex to their neighboring big city. Because like, and from what I've had, what I've seen over the years in like films like 54, American Gangster, and even, uh, what else? I want to say Sleepers, I think. Okay. Yeah, it's like, when they mention Jersey in there, it's like almost kind of disparagingly. And like, I remember in American Gangster where Josh Brolin's character, who's an NYPD detective, he implicitly threatens uh, Russell Crowe's character, a Newark, New right. Jersey detective, saying, never come up to New York City without my permission. Even if you want to see a fucking Broadway show, don't come up here. Right. And then later on, <laughs> later on, what's it called? Russell Crowe flips it back on him. It's like, you don't know what's wrong with us? Yeah. Everybody in Jersey's crazy. You know what we do here? Cops arrest bad guys. So next time you cross a bridge to come here, call me first. Make sure it's safe. <laughs> That's a great scene, man. I, I love that movie, too. And, too. and th I think it's, uh, I don't want to go on a tangent here about Ridley Scott, but again, I think he's, he, with that movie, he just proves that he's such a versatile director. He I mean, is. he could do anything. Have you seen the, the, the unrated version of that film, of American Gangster? No. Yeah, that was pretty good, too. It's a little bit longer, but... Much like, um, much like Copland, which is also another New York, New Jersey divide with Stallone and some other Italian-American actors. De Niro, I think, is in it, De right? Niro's in it. Ray Liotta. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I heard that's a great film. Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but okay. I want to see it. I have to see it. I, you know, everyone keeps telling me to see Copland. I'm surprised you have not, Andrew. I'm really surprised I, you, you know, It's I, a good one. It's a homework assignment, Cy. I'll well, take it. I'll well, take it. If you're going to see it, see the director's cut. That one makes more sense than the theatrical cut that they keep showing on cable right now. Okay. Yeah, it's never as good, right, when they show it on cable. Like on, you know. Even on premium, on premium cable, it's like, okay, the version I saw first was the director's cut, and that's what made me go out and buy the film. But then when I saw the lobotomized version that they have on, like, on epics or showtime it's like what are you people doing this version doesn't make no sense and it's so funny to see a got like um uh scorsese film like goodfellas on tv mm -hmm. because it gets edited out like yeah. they edit out every other word because there's so many curse words you can't and... show this on tv no yeah yeah, yeah. show it on hbo yeah exactly so you know it's like I... when, it's like when you usa first tried to show what's it called basic instinct oh I was yeah like, why would you do Good that luck, for? right yeah <laughs> like people, people, people don't want to see no plot. They just want, they just want to see the sex scenes, which you guys won't let them see. And they only know that one scene, right? So I mean, it's the, uh, leg, crossing scene. the leg crossing scene. It's like, which all right. if you pause it just right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but that 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 song I think is uh, is a is a perfect a perfect uh, a perfect one for that scene because it uh, you have to you have to kind of feel for Tony in that situation because he's got a real tough choice to make. 
has to I mean, kill his own blood. Yeah, yeah, he's got to kill his own uh, his own cousin. You know, and, and uh, it is a disturbing scene, but you realize uh, how much worse it would have been for for uh, Tony Blundetto if if Phil Leotardo had got his hands on him. Oh yeah, Phil Leotardo, he was a vengeful man. Yeah, there's no telling how he would have killed Tony. That man has a lot of anger, a lot of anger, and uh, I and to segue into the next the next song w- would um, is when. Uh, it's actually a montage at the end of what was it? Um, oh, we can talk about Back in Black. Oh, whoops! Uh, I'm 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 getting too uh, too ambitious here and too excited about uh, about this Sopranos music. So slow down. Yeah, yeah exactly. So um, I actually skipped over one of the items we want to cover. So uh, that brings us into the next episode, eleven of season five, called Cold Stones. Uh, and um, actually, you know what? I think I. I, I made a goof here. That's actually season six. Um, it's not season five, but uh, we'll just roll with it here and go with episode 14 of season five. Uh, John actually, Cooper. I think I'm jumping all over the place here. Yeah, you are, actually. I think I, I, I think um, I think we're jumping into season six now, because I think we covered all of season five. Yeah, this is season six. Cold Stones yeah. the next one. Those yeah. are season six. Sorry about that, guys. Um Remember, season six was divided into two parts, too. So. Right, right. Yeah, because of the writer's strike, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, and that was kind of weird, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, the writer's strike was definitely weird. I mean, at the time, it like it, it led like to a, like a temporary... like They cut the seasons in half for a lot of my shows. Like Heroes was cut in half. House was cut in half, but they managed to... They managed to incorporate portions of the writer's strike within the show mm-hmm. and still managed to end it on a good two-part episode, which I thought was one of their best season finales. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was an interesting time because all those writers went on strike and it's like you wondered when we were actually... I mean, I think it was for, for like TV shows too, like The Late Night and yeah, J.J. Leno. And even Real Time with Bill Maher because what's it called? He didn't have his usual intro that he usually has. He just went right... He tried to ad-lib it. Right. Tried to wing it at first. It was like, uh-uh, it's not good without your writers, dude. I remember the movies during that like time period too, which I think was 2006 or 2007. Yeah. Were bad. Were just awful. Like I remember seeing a lot of really bad movies that year. And yeah. just like probably be... And it's probably like you said, it's probably because there was no writers there to actually write good content, write good dialogue, write, come up with good storylines. 2006, yeah, there were plenty of bad movies I saw during that year. But 2007, I beg to differ. Like American Gangster was one, No Country for Old Men, Grindhouse. Oh, yeah. Dude, dude, no country for old men. What? And that that movie doesn't blood. even have any music. It has right? no music at all. It, didn't, no. it took me to the second the second time I viewed it. That's when I realized this, there's no score in here at all. Yeah, that kind of makes it a little bit more ominous. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, it makes the movie more powerful, right? It does. Yeah, I mean, even in scenes like the, the most tensest scenes in the film, all of which involve Shigar, it's like, okay, you don't need no music for this. That that motherfucker's scary enough. <laughs> yeah, and uh, a great performance by Javier Bardem. I mean, got him an Oscar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's just a phenomenal actor. I mean, I like. I just I want to see him more. You know, I wish he would get more. You do more movies. You do. You do. When he's when he's um by his other name, Jeffrey Dean Morgan. Yeah. Oh, he's got like another stage. No, no, oh, no. no. Jeffrey Dean around. Morgan's another. Is an actor too. He looks just like Javier Bardem. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, he was in Watchmen, and he plays Negan on Walking Dead. Okay, all right. Yeah, that's another show I need to watch. Walking I, Dead. I quit after season seven. <laughs> it's just it seems like it goes on forever, but it, uh, it, it could go on forever, and that's the problem. Right, right. I I, I agree. I agree. So um, so yeah, it's uh, we're in season six now, and we are talking about 
Cold Stones, episode 11. Um, Tony's getting roadhead. Yeah, he's getting his uh, his whistle greased. And by by one of his fellow employees, they, uh, <laughs> a, a stripper, he's back in uh, his a new car now, the Escalade, which is better than the, the soccer mom Suburban oh, yeah. that he was in. Oh, yeah. But... Uh, Another another great um, like another great in, song. Back in black in a literal sense, considering the Escalade is a black, yeah, it's pretty much a black truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. A lot of those Escalades, a lot of Escalades that when I think of an Escalade, I think of a black Escalade. Um, but I guess to give some of the listeners context here, yeah. uh, it's season six. It's the last season of The Sopranos, and uh, this scene here is Tony in a uh, an Escalade with. Uh, a stripper and uh, yeah she is she's giving him a roadhead but um acdc I, I mean you know i'm a huge acdc fan um i love all their music i think they're incredible and this is another great song that uh chase kind of puts in there i think you hear it, it's playing on the radio but uh tony you know to give some backstory to the to this season tony was shot i believe it was in the second it was the first episode second, of season second or first episode yeah yeah tony shot by his his uncle junior and we start to see junior's health and mental health kind of decay he, he they think he's going senile and uh he had signs of that from the very from the pilot episode oh yeah 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 right you know he's 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 a he's a bitter old man but um and he's he's starting to lose his his you know mental sharpness so uh, Tony ends up, you know, having to, to, to pull the pull the weight, I guess, with taking care of Tony, uh, taking care of Junior, excuse me. And then he uh, ends up getting shot by Junior. And I think it was actually Bobby that was supposed to go over and take care of Junior. But uh, Tony says, you know, screw it. I'm going to go do it myself. Yeah. Uh, Janice is now married to Bobby. <laughs> Uh, God, Janice. I, I, she is the worst character in that show. You just, I hate her. You hate her? I just can't stand her. She's so annoying, and she's just a terrible person. The the one, the one character I thought that was most terrible in my mind was was called John Hurd's character. John Hurd. Yeah, he played a the the, the, the FBI agent that was ba- that was blackmailing Big Pussy. Oh right. Men Menzinkian or something. Okay. He was... got caught in a brothel, got arrested there, identified as a cop, and in shame he jumped off the bridge. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was actually in that dream with Aunt, like the this with Annette Benning. Annette Benning, yeah, um, yeah. He was he was like kind of an animal. Yeah, he, he was. was. He's just you know all over the place. I mean, the guy was a drunk and a gambler, a drunk degenerate gambler. That's what they called him. Right, right. So um, yeah, um, but anyways, long story short, Tony ends up getting shot by uh, he ends up getting shot by um, Junior, and he's in the hospital. He comes out of miraculously comes out of this coma because he takes a belly shot from junior yeah belly shots are no joke yeah and in movies it, anyway yeah and, and in real life too right <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he ends up uh coming out of this coma and he ends up surviving miraculously and um you know he's back you think he's gonna end up you know changing his ways changing his life and be becoming uh more faithful to his wife who helped him through this uh terrible debacle and you find out he's just back to his own way which gets me back to a new car but still back to his old ways right and back in black right with it's kind of a i think that that's really the theme of that scene he's back to his old ways again of being uh, uh not a faithful husband but the contrast 
to contrast that, in that same scene, the uh, the ACDC Back in Black, it transitions over to Simple Man by Leonard Skinner. Right. Yeah, and that's and that and those lyrics, they're they're a little bit more tame. They're about being, I guess, morally upright. I guess. Yeah, being a good guy. Yeah. Being a good, and, and it's like, you know, it's just not what Tony is. I mean, you root for him throughout the show, even though you know he's bad. He's yeah. he's an antihero, I guess, right? Or yeah, like what's it called? Like back that that decade, the last decade, a lot of TV shows they were rife with that kind of uh, a protagonist who was a white anti-authoritarian antihero, like Walter White from Breaking Bad, Don Draper from Mad Men, Tony Soprano. Jimmy McNulty from The Wire to an extent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Greg House from House, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he has his, McNulty had his moments, right? Oh, I mean, yeah, like that, that episode in season two where he, like, got with that waitress and did that drunken turnaround while the Pogues <laughs> are playing. I was like, okay. He crashes his car, right? Like, like twice, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, McNulty, I don't care if you're a fictional character. You can do what you want. This, this scene made you a legend for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was just such an iconic character. Um, and my favorite, one of my favorites there. He, yeah, he was one of my favorites in the TV show as well. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that's a, that's another one. I mean, uh, uh, one of my favorite bands, ACDC, Back in Black, great album. Do you have Powerage? Uh, oh yeah, I love Powerage. <laughs> Powerage. That's such a uh, such a sleeper record. Too. It is. No one really like knows about it, and it's like Bon Scott. Uh, you know, it's another good one. It's just another like. I mean, I think they put out like seventeen albums or something, or they something did. ridiculous like that. Around that time, was it called the late seventies, uh, early eighties? They they were really they were really just doing shit, putting at their peak. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's like, how do bands keep doing that? They put out all that music. Even in the nineties too, where they were featured on the last Action Hero soundtrack with that song "Big Gun." Big Gun. Yeah, I love that one. Me too. That's a good one. That soundtrack was everywhere. That soundtrack did better than the movie itself. Yeah, yeah, and I think that was like the first uh, time they teamed up with uh, Rick Rubin. Oh, ACDC yeah. uh, teamed up with Rick Rubin, and then they did uh, what was that album, Ballbreaker? Oh yeah, they did. Rubin was in his in his rock phase back then with American Records. He was producing for all the rock bands, uh, Black Crows, Red Hot Chili Peppers, etc. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, uh, oh, God, what are we what are we what are we covering next? Oh, okay. I think it's uh, John Cooper Clark. Oh yeah, that was a good. This episode. is a good scene. This is one of the best, I think. Uh, oh yeah. So we have. I'm trying to think of great montages. We covered the uh, police. Um, you know, uh, what was it? Rumble. That mm-hmm. was a good one. This one is like another top. This one is very effective. A it's, great ending. It's, I mean, I e- think, it's eerie. Yeah, yeah. Because the way he transitions from like the church. Well, him. Well, what's his face? Phil. Talking about his le- legacy. Yeah. Like no more Butchie. No, no more of this. No more of that. Yeah, and uh, so. Yeah, the scene opens up where where Phil Leotardo, played by Frank Vincent, is uh, essentially at a uh, what it would be a birthday celebration for Billy Leotardo, who yeah. is his late brother, and he's speaking with uh, Butchie, who's his, I guess, uh, one of his um, associates in the Lupertazzi family, and he's talking about how he compromised uh, all of his life. You know, he was complaining about, you know, how his family... Changed their name. Yeah, from... uh, Leonardo to Leotardo. Yeah, that was a funny scene. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he's sitting there talking to to, uh, Butchie about this, and he said, you know, if I could have done it over, I would have. Uh, I've compromised all my life. And you can really kind of sense the rage of Phil in this scene. He's just, he's tired of... Uh, 
having to to compromise and kind of take the back seat and um you know i think the thing that's interesting about that is like it's there's kind of a power struggle going on with the lupertazzi family yeah there is you have doc santoro who's trying to take the reins yeah and then you have uh little carmine who is uh you know uh the son i guess the 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 younger son who was going to take over and then you have johnny sack right Mm -hmm. well i guess johnny sack is actually in jail at that point right he is in jail yeah yeah he's in jail you know in breaking bad they named the character juan bolsa in honor of johnny sack really yeah juan being john's bolsa being being a a bag or sack oh okay (laughs) man i i liked uh that actor who played johnny sack i was vincent uh i forget his name I forget his I forget his name. I'm blanking on it right now. It's an Italian name. I forget his yeah, name. Yeah, he he was great though. Those I thought him and Tony, like Gandolfini and and what's his name? John um Joe Pentoli. I can't say Joe Pentoliano. Pentoliano, yeah. They were like three heavyweights in that show. Like yeah, yeah, they were. Yeah. They're the ones who have the most experience. And Frank Andy Vincent Falcon. too. Frank, Frank Vincent's so underrated though. Yeah. Yeah, it was so sad to see that he had passed away. I guess there, uh, what an operation, or he was some sort oh, of complications, or complications from an operation. Yeah, yeah, he was he was great man. Been in so many great films, but yeah, essentially in this scene, he's he's uh, he's he's very angry, and he wants to. You can just tell that he's going to go off on on Tony's Tony, family. Yeah. So he's uh, angry they killed his brother. Yeah, yeah. So you hear this song. It's called uh, uh, "Everything in Chicken Town" by John, by John Cooper Clark, and um, it's a great montage of the lyrics. Uh, you hear him say "bloody" a lot, so yeah. obviously you know that something you know is going to go down. Not just not just with Phil, but what's it called when it transitions over to what's it called Christopher. The baptism with yeah, Christopher. Yeah. It's like Tony and Christopher they're smiling with each other, but it's like the look that Tony gives him is like he's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah, and and there's like you could just see the tension between those two, right? And like, yeah, and the music makes it even more tense because it's eerie, and in the lyrics, the bloody, the way the fact they use bloody with so much regularity in there, yeah, it's the, like. The bloody view is bloody vile. The four bloody miles and bloody miles. The bloody babies bloody cry. The bloody flowers bloody died. Oh, you yeah, mean, you're sparing nobody. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Anybody in the way of Phil's rage or Tony's rage, it's like, you're going to get got. Yeah. There's one on here, Cy, I want to talk about. I think it's it's important, and I and forgive me for not for not put, uh, putting in my notes, but sure. this is in um, essentially the same episode that we're going to talk about uh, shortly. It's episode 18, Kennedy and Heidi. It's season six. Uh, there's it, it. It's a song called "Comfortably Numb." I'm sure you're familiar Floyd, with it. Yeah, yeah. It's a Pink Floyd song, and um, it's actually on the Departed soundtrack too. Which a, a live version of it though with yeah, the, Van Morrison, remember Morrison and Roger Waters. Yeah, Roger Waters. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about it because I think it's it's uh, very very important. I think to the show and and a, and brilliant. I think on Chase's. Uh, part. What episode did they use it in? Uh, it's Kennedy and Heidi. Uh, they use it in the same episode. Yeah, it's okay. it's the it's the episode where Chris Moltisanti uh, has his car accident and then. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, essentially, this song is is a live version, like you said. It comes from the Departed soundtrack, and uh, it's Roger Waters and Van Morrison. It's it's a live version. Came out in nineteen ninety. Yeah, yeah, and um, it, why I think it's so important is because of the the use of the the lyrics and how Chase kind of pairs it up in the scene. Um, so Tony and uh, Tony and Chris are driving in their SUV and uh, he puts in that, that soundtrack, the departed soundtrack and um, the lyrics, uh, 
the lyrics um, kind of go like this. It was like, when I was a child, I caught a fleet glimpse of uh, the, the, out of the corner oh, of my, my eye. And when you see the scene and how it's filmed, you notice that uh, Tony notices that Christopher hasn't kicked his drug habit yet. He's, he's kind of relapsed. His fleeting glimpse. Yeah, his fleeting glimpse, right? Out of the corner of his eye. Because in the way it's being filmed, Tony's looking at him. He's like, he's still high. Like yeah. he's this guy's still doing drugs, and I just thought that was so that was so clever and awesome of like Chase to do that. I mean, it is it is good when you got a producer that knows how to use music. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's just perfect. And then they have the car accident, um, and and Chris unfortunately passes away. But uh, to go back to the lyrics there, he says, "I, uh, you know, uh, Waters is singing. I, I cannot put my finger on it now. The child has grown. The dream is gone. The dream is gone." And I think that maybe he may have put it, he may use that song as well because it's a kind of a commentary on Christopher's character. Yeah. Right? Like the child has grown, uh, you know, Christopher, I mean, Christopher's a, a grown man, but he wasn't what Tony wanted him to be, right? A lot of the men in the show, it applies to all the men in the show, really. Yeah. Tony, Christopher, they're a lot, they're not what they thought they would be. Right. None of what they dreamed they would be during childhood. Yeah. The dream is gone. Child has grown, but yeah, and uh, you know Tony essentially wanted him to, to kind of take over, right? I mean, right. he was he's the consigliere, you know, he's the advisor to to Tony, but I think he wanted kind him of, as his heir. I mean, yeah, his, his own son was pretty much too young for it, I guess, or not involved in the business. And he didn't want he didn't want AJ to be a part of that either. No. I mean, I think he he talks about that. Um, so I think that there's comfortably numb. There's there's so many so much so many songs and so so much music that we could talk about right now. I mean, there but is. I just wanted to make sure that we covered that one because I think it's brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant on Chase's part. So, so yeah, we go back to that same episode, episode eighteen, where we have Kennedy and Heidi. Uh, that's the name of the episode, and then we see the Pretenders again. Oh we yeah, see them used the adulteress. Uh, the adulteress. A, a song they got with lyrics this time. Yeah, yeah, and then again, uh, I think it's a it's another one like Back in Black. Mm-hmm. It just fits perfectly. I mean, it, it's back to Tony's back to his, uh, you know, back to his adultering ways. Yeah, yeah, he's back to his adultering ways. So it shows, you know, it's played in that scene where uh, he's having sex with a stripper after the stripper that Chris knew. Yeah, that Chris used to be with, which I think is completely, you know, it's kind of it's really messed up. I it mean, is, it's, yeah, it's really messed up. But uh, and she brings out a joint after they have sex. Yeah, and, and then I think it's probably the first time I've seen Tony smoke weed on the show at all. Yeah. Any drug that's not Prozac. Yeah, exactly, right? Um, and then he ends up taking, uh, what is it? Uh, peyote. Peyote, yeah. And then they go out and go to Joshua Tree and all that. And he ends up <laughs> winning all this money at the casino in Vegas. Why do they do that for? It's like you take peyote or what's it called or mushrooms and you got to go out to the Joshua Tree. Just the entourage did the same thing too. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, why, why, do you, why, does, that, why does that drug make you want to drive out? To the desert. Joshua Tree, yeah. Is that standard operating procedure? Yeah, yeah. It's just like, queue up. All right, we have to get in a car and drive out to Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. Never understood it, but anyways, I digress. Um, and the lyrics of this song are saying from the point of view of the, the, strip- of, the adult, of the stripper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah she makes him, uh, what, you know, there's a, there's a line in there, the lyric in there, which says, and I make good tea. I stand accused of the worst crime in history. That's my mystery. I'm the adulteress. And it fits perfectly. I mean, she pours in that wine you know when he first shows up at tony first shows up at her apartment yeah and then he he drops the news that chris that is chris dead. is dead so i mean then they go right to bed 
Yeah, I mean, it's like, come on, Tony. Covered sex or? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. He's, but yeah, like, like you, you kind of despise Tony at that point, right? Because like, come on, dude, that's your man's, that's, that's your man's girl right there. Even if she is a stripper, come on, you just don't do that. Yeah, exactly. Like, like fuck someone else. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. It's, but, um, and then that brings us to the last uh, episode of the series, episode 21, Made in America, which I love that title. It's if, perfect. If it encapsulates the whole series, really. Yeah, I mean... Uh, the American Mafia that's made in America. Right, and Tony being a made guy, you know, yeah. be made in America. And then you also, you know, you also see it, uh, you know, you see it on products, like not many anymore, but... That's uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that that's pretty fitting right now. Um, but you hear it... Uh, uh, you hear it in the album. You hear it in the the episode title, but it's 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 perfect because I think it it, it captures um, a couple of different themes, right? You have the mafia theme there, and you have Made in America, uh, where it kind of talks about the American dream. I think you know. I don't know what you think about that, but it does. It does. I mean, there is there is references to the quote unquote American dream in there, and you could say that in many ways, Tony Tony achieved it at some point, being at the height of the mafia chain, right? But in this episode here, it's like there's a certain tragedy about it. It's yes, yeah. especially yeah. considering where they all end up in that diner at the end of the with the final scene. Yeah, how'd you feel about that? The way it ended. The way it ended is like I expected more of it. To tell you the truth, right? It's like at first I thought Meadow and her inability to parallel park for shit. It's like okay, something's gonna happen to her. I mean, is Tony gonna get whacked? And then there's the, the tension there. There is a tension. Yeah, what is gonna happen? And then. When metal gets in, and then you hear the bell ring, and Tony looks up, the screen just uh, just cuts to black. Right. At first, I thought, "Hello." I start smacking my TV. Hello. What's There's something. Wrong? I think. What's I'll, wrong? They were saying that though, right? Like that they they thought there was a glitch in the FBI. Yeah. Or, um, I was gonna say the FBI, the HBC, HBO, the HBO like system where like it, it crashed or something. You felt like because you see that black. Yeah. Screen, you're like, what the hell? But that was like, intentional, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think it goes back to a couple different episodes in, the, in season six where uh, Bobby's talking about, uh, you probably don't even hear it when you, he was referencing when you get killed, mm-hmm. when you die. You probably don't hear it coming, you know? That's true, yeah. That's, that's, that could also be a reference to that. But Chase, he has not been really, he's not given an inch about it to anybody. Yeah, he's not, I don't think he's ever going to really admit it. Um, yeah. But you know, there's also another reference to it where Silvio is—he's uh, talking to um, Jerry uh, Tortiano, the, right. uh, and then Tortiano gets killed by one of Doc Santoro's uh, henchmen. But Silvio is having dinner with uh, with him, with Jerry and and um, two other girls, and then uh, Silvio makes reference to it in another scene when he's talking to Tony and uh, in the strip club. Where he says. I didn't even hear it, you know, like where he, mm-hmm. he, he was referencing when, when Jerry got shot. He's like, I didn't even hear it, you know. Just one, one simple line like that, it, could, it, could carries, it carries a lot of weight later on. Yeah. That's how layered the show is. Yeah, and, and Chase made reference, I think, in an interview made reference to it. He said everything was there, you know, everything had been laid out. The clues yeah. had been laid out. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I still think, I think... I think it was intentional just to, to kind of leave things open. Um, there's also another, I don't know if you, you heard about this, there's a prequel that Chase is developing. It's oh, a movie. Okay. Uh, it's a film called The Many Saints of Newark. <laughs> so it's uh, Chase Chase and another guy, I think his name's Lawrence Connor, wrote yeah. the script. Um, so it's going to be a movie. 
and it sounds pretty exciting, man. Like pre Tony Soprano or yeah, we're like Johnny Boy, you know, his dad and okay. uh, Junior. Uh, come a come a little closer, Mike. Um, oh sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be pretty exciting, and and I I think you, we'll probably see uh you know some of the characters from the original series in it maybe I don't know some of them maybe yeah or I maybe mean, like younger versions of younger the, versions of them we would have to yeah I yeah mean, it wouldn't make any sense to see Silvio right mm -mm. And, you know or Gandolfini and Frank Vincent they're dead now and you can't like superimpose younger CGI versions of them on another actor's body yeah yeah so uh but and this and like the title itself made in America I mean given what we've seen the entire series up to that point like Tony lying, killing, pillaging, robbing, cheating. In many ways, that's his idea of the American way. Yeah. And it's like, and we've cheered him on for that all all six seasons, knowing what he's doing was wrong, but it reflects it reflects the American viewer as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that final scene where they use journeys, don't stop believing. Uh, another brilliant choice, but um, he goes. And he goes, sorry to cut you off. Sure, no worries. No he, worries. he goes through other song choices first when he's in that diner looking for what to listen to. Right, I remember that. Yeah, and like he finally settles on the Journey song, Don't Stop Believing. Because at this point, he's like, I wouldn't say at his lowest, but he knows he might be going down. And I feel like that's the kind of the, it's the, you feel that throughout the entire episode. You're like the walls crumbling, you know, yeah. like the, the, everything's just kind of falling apart. Uh, Carlo has flipped to the FBI. Mm -hmm. um, people have been. It's only yeah. a matter of time before they get Tony as well, too. Yeah. Or somebody gets him, whether the, the, or the streets or the law. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you, you kind of feel this. Uh, it's a feeling of despair throughout the entire episode because you don't know what, what the heck's going to happen. And you see, uh, you know, various people walk into the diner. Mm hmm. So you're like, uh, is this a person who's going to shoot some, shoot him or what, or do something? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it could be anybody, right? I yeah, mean, it, could it could be anyone. Yeah, it could be anybody. Um, so then they use that song, "Journeys Don't Stop Believing." I think it's uh, just a great choice. Um, and when you look at the lyrics, right, just a small town girl living in a lonely world. She took the midnight train going anywhere. Just a city boy, born and raised in South Detroit. I mean, I know it's not in South Detroit, but. Yeah. Um, he took that midnight train going. He took the midnight train going every, anywhere. I think you know Chase is kind of providing some commentary on Carmela and Tony's relationship. It right? is. It is some commentary on it. Yes, it is. Um, small town girl. I mean, like people born in a small town, it's like they get bored, so they yeah. they want to get their first ticket out anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know that line. He took the midnight train going anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, they were both kind of taking the midnight train, right? They like, were. And it's a dark train. It's a dark path. And I think they, and they both... And they both knew it. They both knew what they were getting into. Carmela's yeah. not, you know... She's not stupid. I mean, she, she's, a, she's a mobster's wife, but she knows what's up. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was reading, I was reading that, that interview. I think I, I put a little excerpt in our, in our notes here about the... Uh, from Chase. Yeah, yeah, from Chase. And he, he just says, essentially, they knew what they were getting involved in. You know, uh, the midnight train is a dark train, and uh, but you know, I think the the, the point is, uh, don't stop believing that life will life is good. You know, yeah, life can still be good. You still have your family, and and I think you can see uh, Tony's is still uh, he still has his family. Yeah, and he's and he's enjoying it, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and for what may or may not be a final moment for him. Yeah. Yeah, and AJ makes a reference to it too. He says, uh, "Didn't you say at one point, you know, uh, remember the good remember times. the good times, yeah. right? Yeah, 
Yeah. And Tony's like, I said that? Yeah, yeah. you did say that. Yeah, you said that. So, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, and I think, I think Don't Stop Believing, maybe, maybe it's a reference to uh, Don't Stop Believing the American Dream that you can, you know, uh, still be, it could still work for some people. And yeah. to use a song like that because it's very upbeat. Yeah, and considering everything that's happening that happened throughout the series, all the deaths, all the betrayal, the cheating, it's like it's a way to end it on a good note, I guess. Yeah, yeah, some positivity. Yeah. So, but um, yeah, I know that that ending is so controversial, and everyone wonders that and the ending of Lost. People still talk about those two endings to this day. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, man, a great show and some of the best music I've uh, I've I've heard and. and um, HBO, they have a way of using their TV shows. They, the way they incorporate music in there, sometimes it makes me search right after the episode, like, what song was this? Yeah. I've never heard that. Yeah. This this show made me do that. Uh, the ending montages of The Wire had me doing it because they barely use that many that much music in between episodes right. in that series. Right. And what else? Entourage, that's another one as well. A lot of good music in that one. And True Detective. They, yeah. <laughs> they got me in the town's Van Zant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way they use one of his old country songs in in Carcosa, one of the Carcosa episodes, it's like, yeah, okay. If, you, if, this, if this song doesn't scare the shit out of people, like it does me, it's like then then yeah. I don't know what will. Yeah, Lara Lynn too in that in that season two. Yeah, in season two. Yeah, and I think she has maybe a uh, one song. I think in season one, but season um, one, I, she may. I think she may have one in one because um, hmm. I think that's how she got connected. Uh, in the show, I think she knew the music supervisor. Can't remember. I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But um, e- either way, her songs were good in season two. Yeah, and the people people sleep on season two a lot. We knew it wasn't going to be as good as season one going in, but it's good in its own right. Yeah, I think it was a little rushed, but yeah, I mean that's what I thought at first too, because I couldn't really keep up with the plot. But when I stayed home one day and watched the whole thing for a second time, I was like, okay, this makes sense now, and it's actually pretty smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not as not as doesn't have the same replay value as season one, but like I said, good in its own right. Yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks so much for doing this. This was like, this was a pleasure. It was awesome. Oh, we got to do this again. We got to do it again. Oh, yeah. We got plenty to discuss. All right, man. Thanks for doing it. Take care. No doubt. This podcast is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Acast, Google Music, Stitcher, and YouTube as well. So if you don't mind, please leave a review and give me some feedback. I'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to connect with me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I'm also on Untapped. My username is Brewtuned. This is Andrew signing off. Cheers.